Hi, I'm iChurch. Hi, I'm Me Church. What are you doing? I'm celebrating. I, I can see that. What's the occasion? Uh, God did some amazing things this weekend in our church. I mean, you would not believe the lives that are being changed. Sometimes you just got to step back and celebrate. I, too, did a little celebrating of my own recently. Oh, yeah? At the last business meeting, I gave a hearty amen to welcome the new member. You're a party animal. I believe it's important to just cut loose from time to time. Sounds good. Let's do it. What are you doing? I'm just going to celebrate on the inside. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, when you came in this morning, you received a worship folder, and uh, I'd like to ask you to do something with it if you don't mind. There's a little detachable card, and if you make a decision today or if you need information about what, this church or something that's going on in your personal life, you have a prayer request, uh, if I hit a boring part of the sermon, you can fill out the card, and then at the end of the service, you can drop these in the back of the worship center. There's some boxes back there at the bases of the staircases, and uh, you can let us know what's going on, and we'll try to respond to you real quickly. If you're our guest for the first time, if you bring this card just right outside those doors, there's an area called Guest Services. We have a gift for you today. There'll be a CD of the message I'm about to preach and some other items just to let you know how much we appreciate you worshiping with us today. Then also, there's something a little special. There's, a, uh, there's an offering envelope in there today that has a special purpose, and I'll talk about that at the end of the service, but you can just hang on to that for right now. But uh, let's just let's talk for a few moments before I start the message. Um, I, I, I want to. This is a real personal message for me. So if you'll allow me, I want to talk about some personal things. I don't know if you've ever thought about a pastor and what's in his gear work or what's what his life is like. Maybe if you attend worship services here or in any other church, you assume that the pastor is talking because he is the best Christian in the house. Maybe he has just got the holiest life. And he's got it all together. And so since this guy's figured it out, he's standing up in front of a group of people and he's talking to everybody and explaining how he got it all figured out. If that's what you think is going on here, you couldn't be more wrong. I'm standing before you because God has put a calling on my life. God has given me an anointing to be leader here. And if there's anything we learn in 6,000 years of history is that sometimes there's no understanding, no human understanding for why God anoints people that he anoints. He chooses people sometimes that maybe the world wouldn't choose, and he anoints them to be leaders. And that's why I am your leader. I, I could have done something else, would have done something else, but God came along and put an anointing on my life. And as such, my role is to communicate to you what God would have you to learn and then to lead this congregation and do strategically what the vision is that God has given us. I say all that to tell you this. I have days where the wheels fall off. I just want you to know that. I mean, I, I grow in my walk with Christ, and I learn more about God every day. And there's some days when I just feel like God is there so much I can reach out and touch him. But then I'll have a day when the wheels will fall off. And, and I'll find myself thinking in ways that don't just surprise me that a pastor can think that way. I'll find myself thinking in ways that I'm surprised that a Christian can even think that way. Maybe I'll, I'll just have some moment where it looks impossible and I'll go to pieces and doubt will just rise up in me and I'll get frustrated with God and I'll get frustrated with what's going on in my life. And the next thing you know, I'm thinking like somebody who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just tell you that for a reason. Our series is about getting life in the zone. I want you to know I'm not there yet. 
I want to be there. I want to live in this zone where my Christian life is consistent and I'm living in the place of greatest blessing. But I want you to know I'm struggling to get there. I want to be there, but there are some issues in my life that I really need to work on. I've got to be honest with you before I preach this sermon today. Nobody in this room needs this sermon as much as I do. I not only have room to grow in this area, I do this very poorly. So when you listen to me today, please don't think I'm throwing truth at you. I'm trying to get there. In fact, I'm probably talking to a group of people where 80% of you, maybe 90% of you are better at this than I am. So this morning, don't just pray for yourselves. Pray for me as I communicate this. I know what I'm going to say is true, but nobody struggles with this more than I do. Let me just take a few moments and tell you a little bit about how I struggle with what I'm going to talk about. I'm one of those people who's extraordinarily driven. I joke with you from time to time and say there are no pastels in my personality, but that is so true. There, there's nothing but strong colors. I am a go for it, uh, give 130% kind of person, and I like to be surrounded with people who are the same way. And if you, if, you, if you were to know me very well, you would know that I have a very hard time stopping to celebrate anything. I don't like to celebrate. I, don't never, I never know what to do on my birthday. Uh, I don't know what to do on vacation. You know, on vacation, I'm like a caged panther unless I'm doing something. I can't even eat a meal unless I'm reading a book or doing something. I can't even stop long enough to read a meal. And, it, and I don't know why I'm that way. I, I'm just that way. Christmas, I never know what to do on Christmas unless we have a service here. You know, when we had the last Christmas Eve service, I, I'm just down. I don't know what to do with myself. I have the hardest time stopping. I have the hardest time celebrating. Most of the time, I have no idea what to do. And I don't know, maybe nobody, like, nobody here is like that here today. But my guess is there are a handful of you at least, and most likely you lead organizations, you lead teams, and you're just so driven, you can never stop. You wake up in the middle of the night, and when you wake up, your motor's already running. You have a hard time going to sleep at night because you have a hard time shutting your motor off. You're just an extraordinarily driven person. And when somebody comes to us and says, you know what, you need some downtime, you need to stop, you need to take some time to celebrate, you, could, you say things like, I don't have time to do that. If I were to do that, something, I would lose something. Somehow along the way, we have bought into the idea that stopping is the end of progress. That if you stop to celebrate, the progress has stopped. What we need to learn is that sometimes our effort, the frenetic, the frenetic pace, the frantic pace that we keep going at, that's stopped progress. We're not progressing anymore, even though we're throwing a lot of energy into it. And sometimes we would get more done if we would stop to celebrate the things that God is doing in our lives and have some downtime to enjoy with our team and with the people around us. With that in mind, let me take you to our text. We're going through the book of Joshua. And the reason why we're looking at this generation is for one golden moment, the Israelites got it right. They lived in a zone. The Bible tells us the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and they lived this golden life in a promised land. And so I analyzed the book of Joshua, and I found eight keys to living life in the zone. And today, we come to this key that I really struggle with. Let me give you a little bit of background. The story is that the Israelites, as they're just about to go into the land of Canaan, Canaan is the promised land that God said, I'm going to give to you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. You'll live in houses you didn't build. You're going to have a great time here. It was their homeland, still is their homeland. But God said to them, I'm going to give you this land. 
And after wandering in the wilderness for almost 40 years, the new generation has come up to the crossing of the promised land. And this crossing is at the River Jordan. As I said to you last week, in order to get into the promised land, the Israelites have to cross some body of water. There are two seas, one at the top, one at the bottom. There's a ribbon of a river that runs in between them. The seas are too broad to cross. They're going to cross at the river. And they, they get to this place, and they get to the river, and the river's at flood stage. And we saw last week how that God said for the priests to put their feet in the water. And when they took the first step, the water rolled back, and the Israelites were able to cross onto the other side. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. The Israelites are now over Jordan. They are in the promised land. Their issue is the city of Jericho. It is staring them in the face. Jericho is a walled city that no, no army had been able to take. And you need to understand something, that the Canaanites, the, the, the people that the Israelites are going to wind up fighting as they go into the land, the Canaanites were not barbarians. They were ultra-sophisticated. They had schools and libraries and, and all kinds of public, public facilities and so on. This was, this was a sophisticated culture, and they had a big army. And so the Israelites are right now wedged in between the Jordan River. They can't go back because the river is there. They can't go far because nobody knows how to take Jericho yet. They are right there in the middle. Now, with my personality, if I had been Joshua, as soon as they get over the Jordan River, I'm saying, everybody get a chicken sandwich. We're going to go take Jericho. We're going to strike while the iron is hot. There's no reason to stop now. We're across the Jordan. We're wedged here. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to try it anyway. If I had been Joshua... That's what I would have done. But Joshua did the most extraordinary thing. When they got across the Jordan River, right there staring Jericho in the face, Joshua said, we're going to stop and we're going to rock the house. We're going to celebrate. And they did. Several things happened when they celebrated. As we'll see in a moment, they built a memorial. They took stones out of the river, stacked them up as a memorial to what God had done. They celebrated the Passover. They hadn't done that for 38 years. The Passover, you know, was a celebration of when... God brought the plague on, the final plague on Egypt. And when there was blood on the doorpost, the angel, death angel passed over the house. And firstborn didn't die in that home. And they celebrated Passover then. And then a year later, on that anniversary, the Israelites celebrated Passover. But for the next 38 years, they had never celebrated Passover until they got over the Jordan. And they celebrated Passover. And then after that point, the Bible tells us that the manna stopped. Manna was this bread that God had given the Israelites from heaven to keep them alive when they were in the wilderness. And for the first time, the manna stopped, and the Israelites were actually able to eat a meal that grew in Canaan. This all happened when they stopped to celebrate. Today, I want to talk to us about taking time in our lives to stop and celebrate. Before I do, let's read the text so that you'll know I'm not making all this up, okay? In Joshua chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says... So Joshua called together the 12 men and told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a permanent memorial among the people of Israel. Why did Joshua stop to celebrate? And if you're a leader, why should you stop to celebrate? If you're a parent, why should you create situations in your family life to celebrate good things? Why should you stop when it seems like progress is demanded? I want to show you three things in our text very clearly, and the sermon will be over. 
Number one, they stopped to celebrate because the people needed it. The people needed it. If you're a leader like me and you're very driven, one of the things that we need to understand is not everybody around us is like that. There there was a time that the people needed to rest. And one of the reasons why they needed to rest, they needed to stop, was in order that they might have affirmation that they were on the right track. You know, uh, most of us, we have great expectations for our kids. We want our kids to be very successful. But you know, if you want your, if you want your kid to, to really do great in life, you don't finally celebrate when he becomes a doctor or she becomes a lawyer or CEO of a business. You celebrate a good, report in, a good report card in kindergarten. Because what you want to say to that child is, you're on the right track. You're headed in the right direction. And when we withhold celebration, when people are on the right track, they don't get that affirmation that they're on the right track. You know, husbands and wives, you need to build celebration into your life. You say, well, my wife is still not where I want her to be. Then celebrate who she is. My husband's not everything I want him to be. Then celebrate who he is today. If your team hasn't accomplished everything that's part of your goals for the year, celebrate it when you make a right decision or you take a good, a, a good course of action because affirmation says you're on the right track. Something else that I see here was the Israelites had just come off of something impossible. They had no idea how they were going to get across the Jordan River. They were facing something impossible. At this moment, nobody knows how they're going to take Jericho. They're in between very difficult situations. But Joshua, in his wisdom, took time to celebrate what they had accomplished. Because, listen to me, and I don't know how to articulate this. I told the early service, I don't have the intellectual horsepower to communicate this the way it needs to be communicated. But my prayer is that God will help each one of us individualize this in our own lives. There was a natural rhythm to life. I mean, we see that God has built that rhythm into us. We have day, we have night. We have time to be awake, we have time to be asleep. Your heart has a natural rhythm to it. The weather has natural cycles and rhythms. There are seasons, there are actually natural rhythms built in among the seasons. Oftentimes, after you've had a real cold spell, you'll have a warm spell after that because God has built rhythm into life. After a time of pushing to the extreme, there needs to be a time of celebration and downtime. And any leader who does not pay attention to the natural rhythms of life is going to be in trouble. And I don't want to get into politics this morning, but I watch this with political leaders sometimes. Sometimes it troubles me that political leaders aren't skilled enough to recognize that there is a rhythm to life. And people, people after a time of great push need a time of celebration and a time of rest. And I struggle with that. But there is this natural rhythm, and Joshua recognized it. They they came off this this impossible situation. Jericho was in front of them. They didn't know how they were going to take Jericho, but Joshua was attuned to this natural rhythm of life, and he got his people to celebrate what had been accomplished. Here's another big one. If you're a leader, if you're a parent, if you're a head of an organization, especially if you have been assigned to lead a business or a team that has had trouble in the past... It's very important to celebrate because all of us need the taste of winning in our mouths. These people that Joshua was leading had not won anything for 38 years. Because their forebears had choked at a moment of destiny, they had had to wander around in the wilderness. Many of these people were 40 years old. They had been, you know, 20 when the Israelites had choked the first time, and they had lived in the wilderness, and they they had eaten manna. They had dug graves for all the people who were dying because God had said, nobody over the age of 20 is going into the promised land. I'm going to get a whole new generation who will pay attention to me. But for 38 years, they had just wandered around out here in this wilderness. Some of them, 30, 40, 50 years old, never had tasted winning. And it was very important for them to get the taste of winning in their mouths. 
Some of you played sports. And you know what it's like if you played team sports and basketball or football. And if you've been on a losing team, you know, oh, and something, oh, and 10, oh, and 20, oh, and 30, you go out every week. doesn't matter who you play. You're going to get beat. If you're playing the best team or the next worst, next worst team to you, you know, you're going to get beat. Can you remember what it was like when you got that first win? That first time to save a winning, it creates an appetite for more winning. And the Israelites, after they'd crossed the Jordan, they need to celebrate. They had never celebrated before. And Joshua wanted them to get the taste of winning. I'm talking to some of you, you know, your kids, they really struggle in school. And, you know, it's just, you're just like on them all the time. You know, do your homework. Do, hey, listen, if they do something right, celebrate that. You want them to have the taste of winning in their mouths. You have, a, you have a team at work, and that team doesn't seem to accomplish its goals. But if they reach a goal, celebrate that goal because you want them to get the taste of winning in their mouths. Here's, the, here's a big one. Oftentimes, those of us who are leaders who are very driven, we need to understand that rest can be productive. Rest can be productive. I, I worked with a leader one time who was a very wonderful man, but he had one issue that really compromised his leadership. And I struggled with this a little bit myself. Whenever we were facing some sort of big challenge, he would just get frantic. I mean, he would just like start expending energy wildly. There was no strategy to what he was doing. There was just a lot of energy. And what I watched is everybody around him just shut down. Because they could not deal with the frenzy of it. They, they couldn't see what his vision was. They didn't understand what he was trying to accomplish. They just knew he was frantic. What we can understand is this. There is a point in time when it is, it is productive to get quiet. When it's productive to stop for a moment. Or when it's productive to celebrate. So the first reason why Joshua had this celebration was the people needed it. And that's true in all of our lives. No matter who you are, what your role is, think for a moment of the importance of celebration. Now, my guess is this, and I I don't want to pause like this in the middle of the sermon. My guess is that many of us are going to hear today's message, and you're going to think, I don't really know that this message is, is as important as the other seven keys. And you'll walk out of here, and you'll undersell the importance of this message. I hope you don't, because if you do, it'll come back to bite you again and again and again. And it's a silent killer. We don't realize sometimes what the absence of celebration does in the lives of the people around us. We don't know the power of what celebration can accomplish when it's part of our lives. That's one of the reasons why here at Messiah, we don't like dead worship. You know, if you come from a sort of stained glass, kind of quiet, nothing ever happens kind of deal, you're not going to enjoy being here. And I'm just telling you that because we celebrate here. We want our kids to celebrate. That's what's behind Kids World. We want our kids to know that serving God is a celebration. See, what happens is if we're not careful, we'll undersell the power of celebration. And it's just key. I hope we get it today. First of all, the people need it. Number two, it was for the next generation. Joshua said to the 12 guys, go out and pick up a rock and bring it up out of the water, and we're going to pile up the stones. And he said, here's what's going to happen. Someday our kids are going to come back to this spot and they're going to see these 12 rocks piled up here and they're going to ask you, what do these rocks mean? And you're going to tell them. You're going to tell them that one day we were in trouble. We came to a river. We didn't know how to cross it. We didn't know how we were going to get in the promised land. But God opened up the river. Every time Joshua said, you come back to those rocks, you're going to tell them about it. Now, I'm going to tell you, as I said at the beginning of the message, I'm just sharing my heart with you. I struggle with this mightily. I have been privileged to live a life of watching God do the impossible. 
I don't, I don't know why God has allowed me to do it, but I've just had a, you know, my wife always says she's going to write a book, and the title is, I had a front row seat for all the miracles. Because I, I've watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle. I have watched God do the impossible time and time again. But my problem is, my attention span is like headlights at night. And you know, when God is at work in my life, I'm very well focused on it. But after I pass on and go to new challenges after a while, those miracles of the past can start to get fuzzy. Is there anybody else like this? I was, Jared and I were driving this week, and we drove back to the old location. And just then, thoughts of things that God had done came back to me. But I remember looking over to Jared in the front seat, and I said, Son, it started to get fuzzy. It's starting to get fuzzy. I'm starting to lose. I'm starting to forget those things that God did. I'm, I'm getting a little fuzzy about those times when I thought it was impossible and God came along and did something that I didn't believe was possible. Now, at first blush, you can listen to that and you can say, well, there's nothing all that wrong with that. You say, Mark, that's just part of getting ready to turn 50. Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to middle age. You get a discounted IHOP. <laughs> It's not middle age, it's human nature. Human nature is, you know, after God does something good for us, after a while we can forget about that because we're, we've got the next hurdle. We've got the next, next issue. How serious is that? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you've got to understand God is talking to the previous generation. And he's telling them, someday you're going to go into this land that they've now gotten into. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, here's what God says. He said, when you get over there and you're living in these houses that you didn't build and you're eating from all these vineyards you didn't plant, God said, then I want you to be very careful. Why did God want them to be careful? In Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 11, he said, beware that you don't forget the Lord. What he's saying is beware of the headlight effect. Beware that after you get over there where God has blessed you, you forget all those miracles of the past. That's why Joshua was saying, take the rocks out of the river, build a monument so that when your kids come back, you're going to say, this is what happened. Now, this is pretty heavy because later on in that same chapter, in Deuteronomy 8, 19, and 20, God said to them, if you forget, listen to me, God said, if you forget what I've done for you in the past, God said, just as I've destroyed all those nations, I will destroy you. God takes it real seriously when we forget the things that he's done in our lives. He expects us to remember when he does something great. And beyond that, we want our kids to know. I'm going to work on this, and you pray for me. Because, you know, I've, I've experienced so many miracles in my life. I mean, I talked to the early service about how God helped us to get this land. What a miracle, an absolute miracle. If you know me, you remember 10 years ago, I was telling this story over and over and over about how God miraculously helped us to get the land. I almost never tell the story anymore. And this is, this is convicting me. I remember when, when Mary Alice and I were teenagers and we were dating, Mary Alice used to have something, some of you ladies... And, you know, when you were teens, and maybe, they, I don't know if teens still do this or not, but she had what she called a hope chest. And, you know, in the hope chest, she would put mementos of our relationship in there. And it was kind of like, you know, stuff in there that she was looking at in, in the hopes and the plans that we would have a lifetime together. And, and, and after we were married, she'd go back to that hope chest and take those symbols out of our relationship. I'm thinking to myself, many of us need to create some sort of tangible memory chest. 
Some kind of box where we put in symbols. It doesn't have to be anything extraordinary, but just a reminder of what God has done so that every once in a while we can open that box up. Maybe when you get to another impossible situation, it might help you to get that box out and say, hey, I remember when I was in trouble and this symbol reminds me of what God did in my life. Could I challenge you to do that? I'm going to try to do that. I I want to make sure that I don't forget any of God's miracles. And beyond that, I want to be able to communicate that to my kids. I I want to be able to tell my granddaughter You know, when she gets a little older, and I want to be able to tell her about the miracles that God has done in my life. I can tell her, you know, your grandpa is not very smart. And as a leader of a great church, there were a lot of times he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how we were going to get there. But God came along and did the impossible. I want to do that for the next generation. So why do we stop to celebrate? We stop, number one, because the people need it. Number two, for the next generation. Let me give you the third thing, and I'll be through. Okay, before I do it, let me remind you of the situation. They're wedged right between the Jordan River and Jericho. They know now how they got across the Jordan. They don't know how they're going to take Jericho. Nobody's been able to do it. Had I been there, I'd have tried to come up with something on the fly. I don't know how we're going to do this, but man, let's, let's go. Let's go. We're across the Jordan. Let's do it. Joshua wisely paid attention to the natural rhythm of things. He took time to celebrate what God had done already. He wanted the people to know they were on the right track. He wanted them to have a taste of winning before they went in to Jericho. And there was one more thing. He didn't have a clue how they were going to take Jericho. Sometime while they were camped out having this celebration, Joshua was all by himself. Every leader here in this room knows what it's like to be by yourself. I've sat down in a room full of people and felt totally alone. Whenever the responsibility rests on your shoulders, you can feel alone in a crowd of people. And Joshua was there. Here he was. All he had was a box of business cards. And the business card said, Joshua, captain of the Lord's army. Now that's not really true, but I I see that in my head, all right? That was Joshua's job. If you ask him, what's your job, Joshua? I'm captain of the Lord's army. This is the Lord's people. I'm the captain. Well, what are you going to do, captain? Don't have a clue. God, take Jericho. Don't have a foggiest notion how I'm going to do it. And he got quiet. And he got still. All of a sudden, Joshua looked up, and there was a soldier dressed in battle regalia, shining like a bright light. And Joshua wants to know who this soldier is. And he asks this question, are are you on our team? Are you one of my soldiers? Are you one of the soldiers on the other side? And I think Joshua knew at that moment, if this guy was on the other side, he was in a lot of trouble. Now, if you'll give me just a brief pause for a little theology here. I, I need this little pause. Because we all know who our Lord is. Our Lord is God's Son. And we call him Jesus Christ because that's the name. Jesus is the name he was given when he was born in Bethlehem. But you do understand that the Son of God did not begin in Bethlehem. He was God who was born in the flesh. The Bible says, John 1 says, he created everything. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So when you read the Old Testament, even though Jesus hasn't been born yet, he's God's son, he's on the scene, he's completely involved, and what's really amazing is on occasion, he would show up on the earth. And we call these, this is a 50 cent term that you probably won't use anymore this week, we call them Christophanies or Theophanies, visual manifestations of pre-incarnate Christ. Like when 
You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire furnace, and the king said, we threw three in there. I think I see four, and the fourth one is really different. That's Jesus. That's God showing up, Jesus showing up on the earth. And what you need to know is that when Joshua looks up and sees that soldier dressed for battle, that is our Lord. And Joshua said, I I don't know who you are. Are are you on their side? Are you on our side? And the captain says, I'm not. That soldier said, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. And here's here's what the soldier says to Joshua. He said, I am here as captain of the Lord's army. What's so interesting about that is five minutes before, Joshua thought he was captain of the Lord's army. But when the Lord showed up, the Lord introduced himself as captain of the Lord's army. Now, guys, I don't know how to preach this today, but i got to tell you, in my life, so many times, I need the Lord to show up and for him to remind me he's the captain of my life, that he's the one who's got it all under control. And in that quiet moment, if you read the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, it was there that the Lord gave him the plan for taking Jericho, and what a plan it was. He said, you're going to march around the city one time each day for seven days, and on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and you're going to give a shout, the walls are going to fall down. If I'm Joshua, I'm thinking about dozens of plans that work better than that, but that was the plan that the captain gave him, and it worked, as we're going to see next week. One of the reasons why you and I need to take time in our lives to stop is so that God can talk to us. So often our lives are so busy and so noisy, we have so much technology, we're never able to get away because we've got a cell phone and a PDA and a laptop, and we're never able to get quiet, and God has a hard time talking to us. If you were to ask me, Mark, what's the, what, what, what do you think is the greatest sermon you've ever preached? I wouldn't have to think that long. I know the answer to that question. I don't usually think any of my sermons are all that great, but there's one sermon that I think is the greatest sermon that I've ever had the privilege of preaching since I was preaching at the age of 16. All these years, one sermon. It's called Manasseh. It was from the Joseph series. I was doing the Joseph series back in 1997, Living a Functional Life in a Dysfunctional World. I've already told you that's my favorite series of all time until this series. And I had it all sketched out, and I had this sermon I was going to do on Joseph in the workplace, which I would never do until we did a series a couple years ago here. But I had this series on Joseph in the workplace, and I remember I was out in my backyard, sitting in my swing, mentally going through the sermon on Friday night. And I had it completely sketched out all the illustrations, all the points, all the scripture text. I was ready to write the sermon the next day. And as long as I live, I'll never forget what happened about midnight that night after having worked on this sermon for weeks. I did something I rarely do to my discredit. I remember getting very quiet before God and saying, God, I think this is what you want me to preach. But if it's not, I'm just going to be real still for a moment, which is very hard for me, and very quiet before you. And if you've got something else in mind, I'm just going to be quiet. See, many of us when we pray, we're thinking, what do I say to God? How about just getting quiet and letting God talk to you? And I'll never forget what it was like. I think God was trying to show me something. Because at the moment I got quiet before God, God just began to pour this great message into me. I'd never thought of it before. I hadn't been studying for it. It's not like I'd had this as plan B and God said, I want that. I hadn't even thought about it. It was completely. 
completely different from anything I'd ever anticipated. It was like God poured it on me, and in about 90 seconds, I had what to me is the greatest sermon God has given me to preach in all these years. Could it be that that's what's happening in your life? You're stressing and struggling, and you're putting all kinds of energy into life trying to figure it out, and what God really wants is for you to get quiet before him so he can talk to you. It's important to take time. It's important to celebrate. People around us need it. The next generation needs it. And who knows? God may want to say something to you. God may want to communicate something to you. God may want to give you a better plan than you have right now. So I want to encourage you. Take some time, some downtime. Celebrate before the Lord. Get quiet before God. And let God speak to your heart and life.